Hey folks, so this episode is pretty crazy. Not particularly the episode itself, but the timing of it is absolutely insane. So we had a special guest on this week. We'll get to that when you listen to the episode to talk about a case involving an unidentified girl from 1988. She's been referenced as the baby Jane Doe and also the Christmas Doe. Uh, we had this guest on, we discussed it, we talked about it, we went through some of the details of the case, we speculated a bit, we you know, gave our thoughts and opinions on what the outcome could be and what might need to be done to get eyes back on this case and you know, galvanize the people to find witnesses or anybody that could come forward with information from 1988, where the assailant could have taken the child from and come from and all these things. Not 24 hours later, the case breaks. The little... Jane Doe was identified as Kenyatta Odom. And a mother and stepfather were taken into custody. This happened on Monday, November 13th. We recorded on Sunday, November 12th. The episode was supposed to come out on Thursday like it normally does. And the case broke. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, so the time was the timing was absolutely crazy, but the, this was the <laughs> this was our episode for this week. So Although if there have not been more details released, I still want to put the episode out so people can learn about the case and the information that was available that helped solve this case. And ideally, when more is revealed, maybe we'll have our guests back on and we can give an updated narrative on what happened to Kenyatta Odom. So this is very good news. Shout out to the, our special guest for suggesting that we talk about the case. And also this, this person, who you guys will learn in a second, has been involved in this case for a number of years and covered it on their podcast. And so um, it's super awesome for them to get closure for themselves and for the family and, you know, um, everything that's been the outcome of this and people being involved and not letting people's name be forgotten. So that's all amazing news. But the timing was absolutely crazy. I've never been involved in such such wild timing. I mean, we wanted to spread awareness and awareness got spread pretty quickly before we even did this, the awareness spreading. So, you know, it, but it's never for not. You know, these conversations are necessary. I think there's still good information to be taken away from this episode, so I still wanted to release it. But, of course, we will have our guests back on and do an updated uh, version of the case of Kenyatta Odom and maybe lay out how they were able to solve this case 30-plus years later. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. See you guys next week. Yeah, obvious. We got a problem here. And it's more than just Alvin streaming Punisher. When life begins to suck, who's reporting it? Luckily, you got two friends who you won't forget. Coming live, Alvin and friend on survival. Laughing nonstop, case drops on a cycle. Louder than intrusive thoughts off an iPhone. How they make the world seem bright with the lights off? AFs, it might as well stay up. Lies being told like that dinosaur BS. Magnifying glass to the ground if they don't see us. Having the time, roasting your favorite pizza. Bougie ain't an option, it's the way. Take it to the grave, add poop into the place. You already know when they take the case. Laugh the pain away. It's a Fran, I'm super excited to be uh, having our special guest on this episode to talk about a very important case. Uh, this person is in my phone as Laura Obi-Wan. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot from this person over the years. Uh, they taught me how to file for a request. They, they t tell me the people in the industry to avoid because there are some loopy people out there that are, are, are you know, some strange folks. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful, uh, 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 renowned author, incredible podcaster, professor, Laura Norton. Laura, thank you for joining us. Uh, so thank happy you. to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking some time out. Hello. Hi. I mean, to be fair, I am also a strange person in the industry, but fair. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And I and I didn't listen to my own spidey sense on that one. And yet, yeah. so so we're friends. So yeah, here we uh, are. You know. <laughs> so, how are you? What's new? Congratulations on the book. Um, what's new? How's it been since the release? Um, uh, terrifying to get any kind of attention, personal attention whatsoever. Um, not a real big fan of that. Uh, but besides that, it's been great. Um, no one has said anything mean to me, which was my major fear. Um, <laughs> yeah. having people say mean things to me on the internet, uh, for some reason that continues to be something I'm frightened of. You'd think after, you know, 15 years of teaching, uh, and you know, six plus years of podcasting that people being mean on the internet would be something I'd be over. Um, but yeah, no, it's been really pleasant, great reception. Um, the audiobook has done well as well, so it's been really great. Yeah, um, sometimes something like this, you would think it would make your skin tough, 
But my skin is a lot more agitated these days. Like <laughs> even I don't even like backhanded like your podcast is not what I thought it would be. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Is th- that sounds yeah, that sounds mean. <laughs> They're like, I'm in it in a good way. I'm like, oh, okay. So I back off, but everything I'm always on the defensive uh, as yeah. far as criticism goes. So I get that, and I know that you stepping out and you know into the forefront is is, is a bold move. But I'm about five chapters into your book; it's amazing. You sound great, and uh, I'm loving the story. So you you got a good one on your hands. Thank you. Yeah, being upfront is a new thing. Um, I'm very used to being in the background in podcasting, so being upfront yeah. is I don't know how you do it. Um, it's a little terrifying. <laughs> I was deprived of attention when I was a kid. So uh, it, it always, you know, uh, you know, it feels good to feel good, but it feels awful to feel awful. So that, you know, that that's the dichotomy of, you know, being a person who wants to make people laugh or make people think because people, they go, that was a great point you and Fran made. And I'm like, yay. Or somebody goes, you guys suck. And uh, somebody called Fran, somebody called Fran Ashy like last year for one of his takes. <laughs> and it's like, hey, man, screw you. You know, like, fuck yeah, off. Yeah. You know, so you got to take the good with the bad. But Laura, your amazing podcast, The Fall Line, your other podcast that I've lent voice to on uh, several occasions, several. One Strange Thing. Yeah. 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 Um, great, great podcast. If you could uh, take a brief moment, it's it's in the book. But if you could take a brief moment to, you know, for anybody in our audience that doesn't know, what do you specialize in on your podcast? And, uh, you know, how does that come into play for how you are here today? Sure. So um, the fall line and one strange thing are kind of polar opposites in terms of podcasts. Um, The fall line is a super, super serious podcast. Um, We focus on undercovered cases, primarily in the southeast, although we'll go anywhere we're needed. And we look at cases that have little to no media attention in general, although we will cover cases that have had some media attention if a family is really looking for that. And we're looking at cases where um, cases are cold, where it's really difficult for other podcasts to report on them because we happen to have skills in that area that make it possible. Um, My background's in archival research. I was a creative writing professor for 15 years. Um, I recently left the university so I can just concentrate on writing and research full time. But it's kind of hard to take that out of you once it's been there forever. Yeah. Um, My uh, podcast partner, Brooke, um, is a licensed professional counselor, so she concentrates on on family interviews. I work with law enforcement and experts, and I, at this point, have a pretty, um, I would say, decent background in forensics. Um, so I have a pretty good handle on forensic science. And while we look at missing persons cases and homicides quite often, we also have a specialty in unidentified persons cases, um, which receive the least coverage. So that would be John and Jane Doe's. Um, and for one strange thing, um, that is my fun podcast. So yeah, that's where you get <laughs> yeah. that's where you get the sillies out. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, that's our pandemic baby, uh, and that's uh, <laughs> the podcast made by me and the producer from the Fall Line, Maura Curry. And we look at just unexplained events from little American regional newspapers um, that people may have not heard of. Um, we do once in a while touch on the big story just because people enjoy those, you know, yeah. sneak mm-hmm. in a Jersey Devil here and there. But oftentimes it's just really strange stories people have never heard of, like a trucker who says he was kidnapped um, by aliens while he was delivering ketchup and mustard across state lines. You did participate <laughs> in that one. I did um, do that. Yeah. yeah. And we often come to Alvin to do voice work um, because he is just uh, consistently popular with our listeners. Um, to do voice work on there. We've also had... See, Fran, people like me. People like me. They do, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that, yeah. A concerned citizen from Swindled. Stephen Ray Morris has done several uh, runs. You know, Christy Lee from Canadian True Crime, Sarah Turney. Um, A lot of our friends have come on now that Fran and I have officially been introduced. Um, We are a little light on men for for voice work, (laughs) so you may be getting an email as well. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Shoot them in electronic mail. We got to get that yeah. voice out I would love there. That. I'm, I'm, I, I'm happy to be finally meet you. I mean, I hear about all these great friends that Alvin has, but he always seems to hide me from them. So I was able to talk him into letting me be on this episode with <laughs> you on. So, I, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an honor. He's stingy. Yeah. And yeah, also, he wants all the attention, all the he wants all the great friends. He keeps it to himself. And when you say when you say that, people believe you. So people are gonna think I've been hiding you. And then some people, people think people I'm not real. <laughs> some people now think that true. I'm a character no, no, that, that Alvin has made up. And when they see me, they they think they they're shocked and they go, "Oh, you're a real person." I go, "Yes, I am. I am a mailman. I am a real person. I am on the show." 
And so when they do see me, it's just, it's always a surprise. I've been accused of throwing my voice in, in, my, in, in, in person. They're like, friend, it's not, it's his, where, why is he never at the things? I'm like, he's busy, man. This guy's got kids. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but no, I've decided to pull him out from the uh, cage that I keep him in for this one, because this is a very important case. Uh, uh, Laura, you, you hand selected this one to come on and talk about uh, the, it's the case is simply titled Christmas Doe. This is an unidentified Jane Doe from 1988. And uh, can you let people, uh, first of all, before we get into the case, I wanted to get, I wanted to commend you really quickly because uh, Laura and um, the fall line and all the people involved in that, I mean, they pay for billboards, you know, they offer uh, like counseling to family. The, 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 the way that you guys are boots on the ground in a, in a very real way, we have such respect for because we really identify with your message but, you know, we just we just try to tell stories and the way that you guys really get involved in aftercare and what these people need is uh, something that really should be you know, touted and, and, and praised. So I just want to take a second to say uh, thank you and congratulations on, you know, everything that you do. And it, it's really Absolutely. needed in the world. We're all here to fulfill, um, I think, different needs in the space. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. So. I, I think that a lot of people are like, wow, you guys do it exactly this way. We feel bad because we don't do it exactly this way. And I, I don't think that's fair um, for other content creators to feel that way. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I yeah, think yeah. all of us that are wanting to do good in the world do it in our own ways. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, sure. our show is a heavy show. It's yeah. a heavy show. <laughs> and that's one thing people <laughs> say to me a lot is they're like, we like this show, but it's a heavy show. Um, yeah. And so I think people also need shows that aren't such heavy shows. You know what I mean? And and yeah. it creates and it creates a balance and it brings in a lot of and it also brings a lot of good creative people together. And so yes. I think we need all of that. So we learn from you guys and then we can disseminate it in a way that's a little bit more light and gets to those people who want to help but aren't ready to, you know, you know, turn their life over to this extremely. So like, how can we help in the, and how can we help from our couch? How can we help from home after listening to this podcast that, you know, makes us laugh a little bit. And I, and I do, you know, I feel like that is important in its own way, but you know, listen, you can pat yourself on the back. What you do For sure. uh, is, is extremely commendable. And uh, people like you uh, inspire us to be better versions of a podcast because it's all about ethics, right? You know, you want to do, you don't want to be, uh, you know, discourteous or rude to, you know, victims or their family. So we're always trying to watch what, how you guys move to make ourselves better. I think it's a process for all of us, <laughs> you know, that's because ultimately like none of us got a blueprint for this. No, that's the thing. None, Not of, at all. none of us. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, all right. So let's get into it, huh? Okay. So uh, this, yeah, this is about, this is the story of the Christmas dough. So just days before Christmas in, 1990, in 1988 in Ware County, Georgia, the body of a three-year-old girl was discovered by Detective Arnie Heron. Am I saying that right, Laura? Heron? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah Heron. Uh, after a report from a passerby pointed uh, him in the direction of a pile of trash that was in the woods. Tossed amongst that pile of trash was a little black girl who was partially encased in, a, in cement and stuffed in a suitcase. Uh, she had on a knit shirt and colorful bows in her hair. Detective Heron remembers her being pretty enough to have been going to church. So this wasn't, um, she wasn't in pajamas. Uh, it feels like, you know, based on what the detective is saying, that this girl was dressed up to go somewhere. It wasn't, they didn't, you know, I don't think she was at home. She might have been going out possibly. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on that assessment, Laura? At least partially. So it was really interesting because she was wearing a white polo sweater, um, and, uh -huh. you know, and Polo was a brand in 1988, yeah. you know, like, and yeah. it was a more expensive brand. Um, and her hair was done up. It was described a couple of different ways. Um, but the best I've seen from the internal files was like two ponytails that were braided. And then she had yes. bows in her hair. Um, like at the ends, maybe. Yeah, at the ends. Right? I, I think I've seen it done to it, it described two different ways in art. Um, and I saw some that were bows at the ends and at the top. So Got it. Um, definitely not what you would sleep in. You would definitely take out the bows at nighttime. Um, and so she was really wearing a nice outfit on the top half of her body. And then on the bottom half, she was wearing like white long john pants. So and, wow. and I think Fran can speak to this, too. Um, but with kids, a lot of times to me, that is a transition outfit. So you've had them out 
and like you've maybe like taken them like out somewhere. Um, you do not have your kids in all white at home if it's nice white, right? Yes. Because what they do is exactly. they spill juice, um, you know, they get messy, et cetera. To me, that's like an outfit you might take them out to like see family, you might take them to a restaurant, even pictures, school, something nice. But to me, the white long johns are something where you'd be changing them. Like either maybe they spilled something on their pants. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, she was still wearing diapers at the time. So they, she might have had an accident. You might even be changing into pajamas part way. Yeah. But the fact that she still had her hair done um, and she was still in that white polo sweater. And this is just parent instinct to me. Um you know, because I I didn't have a little girl. Um, I have a son, but yeah. parent instinct to me is that's a half changed child. I don't know what Fran thinks about that, but yeah, I agree with that. It seems like that you know, again, like you just said, they may have been coming from somewhere, and you know, she spilled something. Yeah, you gonna change your shirt or just change change your pants because everything else is fine, and you kind of just go with that instead of changing a whole outfit because that's a whole thing. Got to find a new outfit. It's just a lot of steps, so we got to iron it and stuff like that. Where it's just like. Let's just change your pants or your shirt because everything else is fine. And we just go about business. Well, also, what is what is fall winter like in this part of Georgia, Laura? You, I feel, I feel so you can speak to that. Like, it's unusual. Long, it was could a, it be a long john with a skirt? And maybe the skirt was taken off? Like, could the long johns be for, for warmth purposes? Is, does it get that level of cold? So here's the weird thing. Um, it was about 80 degrees in December because oh, wow. this is at the Georgia-Florida line. Um, Got it. And so when she Great was, band, by the way. But Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> what, so in terms of when she was discovered, she was discovered um, around December 20th, 21st of 1988. And yeah. um, how she was discovered, we can get into that in a minute because it really does affect PMI or what's called postmortem interval. Um, but she was really dressed in what I would describe as kind of holiday colors, you know, the red and the white. Um, yeah. So this is an unusually warm outfit for that period. Um, and now certainly Georgia does get cooler, but this is South Georgia, Florida area. Yeah. And that is another reason why the top half of the outfit really spoke to me as like a holiday kind of outfit. You know, it made me think yeah. pictures, et cetera. And this is really just theorizing. But I, sure. I even thought about someone coming home after doing something and then changing the bottom half of the child's outfit and, and then yeah. something happening. And we can talk about why in a second, because when this little girl was found, um, she wasn't just found in the woods. Um, the man who came upon her in the woods, he was a logger. And yes. he went out into the woods. Um, and why he went out into the woods, he said, was to relieve himself because um, yes. he was driving by in a truck. And, you know, there was no close by convenience store anywhere to go to the bathroom. And what he said was he saw this very large kind of odd structure, which turned out to be an old 70s or 80s TV console. Yeah, like a big box, big screen television type of well, thing, right? Well, yeah, and if y'all may be too young for this because I barely remember these from when I was a kid. But basically, it was a TV inside a piece of furniture. You may remember oh, these yeah, from, no, like your, I remember. Yeah, from like, like grandma's house. Um, yeah. Because my then it stops working and then it's basically a table. Yeah. Or it holds all the yeah. VHS tapes on top. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. My my husband's grandfather was a TV repairman in Baltimore, um, and so they had a whole backyard that was a graveyard of these things, but yeah. they basically looked almost like a bureau, like a piece of furniture with a hole in the middle, um, yep. and that's what this was. It was a box version of a TV console with the TV missing, and what had been done was someone had taken a suitcase and put her body inside of a suitcase, an older suitcase. They had filled that suitcase with concrete. And as you mentioned, it was concrete, but it was badly mixed concrete. Um, and Like haste, hastily, hastily yeah, made. Yeah, it was hastily made. It hadn't been stirred right is the best we can guess at. I would really have to see like a chemical test done on it to see how precisely. Yeah. Um, but that is probably what affected what happened later. So that was placed inside. Then more concrete was poured inside the TV console. And, hmm. and then after that, boards were nailed on either side of the TV console to close out the place where the TV would have gone. And yeah. what was kind of particular about these boards were they weren't the kind of regular plywood you might go buy from Home Depot. They're actually the kind of prepared ones that are pre-painted that you would actually see 
probably go over like uh, if you're preparing for a storm. I don't think y'all do that much up there, but down in mm. Florida, batten down the hatches. Yeah, do, you, do y'all like no, covering like the, windows or something yeah. like that? Or do y'all, okay, y'all don't. No. I know that you're near the coastline, but I don't think y'all. We get some hurricanes, but I've no, never. Yeah. I've seen that. I never had. We to, all like, boarding out windows. Get the nails <laughs> and yeah. bang out the windows. Yeah. yeah, we don't do that in Atlanta either. But uh, I know down in Florida they have to do that, so that's something that's readily available. Um, and mm. down in South Georgia as well, especially when you get into like Savannah, and this yeah. is where is not so far from there. Um, so that was the kind of board that was used. Was that kind of prefab wow. board? I mean, of course, it can be used for other things, but that's what we most commonly see them for. Right. Um, and that that was what was nailed around the TV console. Um, and this witness claimed that what he did was when he looked at this structure, he kicked it over to see what it was. And he claimed that when he did so, the entire thing fell over and crumbled. Yeah. And that a suitcase mm. fell out, um, which is strange to me for something filled with concrete. Yeah, and to crumble like that. Yeah, and how 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 much veracity was in his statement? We really can't guess how truthful it was. I mean, would the average person probably go over and mess with it a little more? Probably, but that doesn't make him suspicious in my mind. You For know, sure. it's just so you know you wonder what this is. Um, but also, it could simply be that the concrete was really poorly mixed. Um, but when he kicked it over, the suitcase was there. He said it came partially open again. Is that true or not? Uh, who can say? But uh, once again, that's just human curiosity. I don't think there's anything yeah. suspicious about that. But he would then open the suitcase and discovered um, the little girl's remains. So I bring all this up because um, there's some kind of, to me, strange disparity between her outfit, how she was discovered, the materials involved, and the time period. And here's why. Because once she was um, examined by officials at the GBI, and the GBI is the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, they were called in by Ware County officials. It's a very small area. So they really needed, like, the state bureau. Um, And the GBI really does have the best possible labs, you know, testing, et cetera. They said that they suspected that um, she had died sometime in probably October. Yeah. But... The problem, like a two month, like a two month yeah, decomp. Like it was two, about yeah. a two month decomp. Yeah. But the problem there is that I spent a lot of time looking at um, how concrete can, you know, affect decomposition. And the problem is, is o- the only tests that have ever been done have been done on concrete that was mixed to, you know, industry grade standards. To perfection. Yeah. Because yeah. they really looked at things like, you know, mafia. Um, they looked at people, you know, those professional kinds of, you know, jobs. Jimmy, Ho- Jimmy Hoffa type yeah. of situations. Or they did yeah. tests, unfortunately, on animals, um, mostly in Italy, um, to kind of see how that would work. So really, I think that it would be really difficult to actually look at PMI in this case. Yeah. And I bring all this up because when we begin to look for missing children in this case, what really speaks to me is that she was dressed in a very winter outfit, um, that I wouldn't necessarily expect to see in October, especially because yeah. it would have been even hotter. Um, yeah, in you said in, in December it's it's, it's eighty, but yeah. so now it's even earlier, so it's weird. But I also like the the concept that you you know you are when you're theorizing about maybe it was a picture day or you know or, or uh, we're going somewhere really quick where it's like you just got to deal with being hot because this is a nice this is a nice outfit, but it being two months earlier really makes you question it even more because you go, it's even hotter then than it is when the body was discovered. And of course we do have some cold fronts, you know, that do come through and you have to match up the week, you know, and it could have been cooler that day in October, but it just made me kind of think about, you know, should we be looking for someone, you know, that actually went missing closer to December. So. Now another question, you know, obviously we're, you know, we're just speculating and everything, but to, Go through that uh, extent to board up the TV, to the concrete, the suitcase. Do you think that those things were brought out there, or was the? Do you think this pile of trash uh, was already there, and then this person may have, you know, made do with what they had? Because I mean, when I look at the situation, I think body of water. You know, as far as concrete goes, like you know, weigh it down with weigh the body down with concrete, put it in something heavy, and dump it in concrete. But instead, it feels like they kind of. It was so, you know, sporadic and the concrete was poorly mixed and then maybe they felt like that that plan fell to shit. So they went into the woods and just left this poorly constructed coffin in the woods. What do you think? 
so two things on that. Um, and I don't know if either of you have any experience in construction or carpentry, um, but I built some Ikea furniture in my day. <laughs> so if you <laughs> continue, yes. So, so yes, yeah. I do have expertise. Um, no, I'm an expert. That, that is, that is certainly a harrowing experience. Um, so, um, I really think that whoever, um, and it may not have been the person who either killed her or was at least responsible for hiding, you know, who, who's, I don't know if she died purposefully or accidentally. It's, yes. you know, cause ca cause is not clear, but someone mm -hmm. certainly hit her death. Um, and we have to assume that it was hidden for a reason. Yes. Um, but I think that that person had uh, regular access to construction and carpentry materials. Um, and there's a few things there. Um, I think it's likely that either they had that piece of furniture um, or were easily able to pick it up. And if they're easily able to pick it up, um, you need a pickup truck. You need a work truck. Um, yes. I think that the materials um, that were used were easily either easily available to them personally for their employment or from a job site. Um, you know, and just speaking to um, my husband, who did a lot of carpentry before his current job, um, he was just spotting things that are that yeah. you would have, you know. Um, and I think that your thought that this was a case where um, the remains of the little girl were supposed to probably go into water, I think, are spot on. And I think there are probably two options there. Um, yeah. And like, I will also say, like, normally on the fall line, we try to avoid theorizing, um, but this is a case where I think we really do need to think about that because yeah. um, her remains have not been tested for DNA at this point um, successfully. So I think we have to think about any possible clues that could lead someone to have that spark of memory, right? Yeah. Um, and I think in this case that one of two scenarios make the most sense to me. And the first scenario is that um, whoever was going to hide her body, and I think we're looking at at least two people here, by the way, just based on the size mm. um, of the, the TV, the filled with right. concrete. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be she was heavy. two foot nine. She was she was two foot nine and thirty pounds. Very small. Yeah, the body was very small. But then you add the concrete, the TV size, and if anybody who doesn't know these these. Even without the TV uh, part of it itself, it's still a large you know, piece of wood. By, yeah. by yourself, and sturdy. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, so and then to yeah, so fill that with concrete and a suitcase and a body. I, I agree. And even just like the maneuvering of it. Yeah. Like, I don't think you could pick it up from one as one person. Like, it's a lot to grab. And even if you could, um, people would notice because you'd be struggling. And so yeah. you'd really, you know, I know there are a lot of people who can pick up large furniture, but to move it quickly and quietly, you need two people. Um, my two thoughts are that whoever had it took it to the water and it floated. It was not heavy enough. Mm, and that yeah. would also, um, I think, speak to the further degra degradation of the wood, if it was so easy to kick over, or that they got spooked and dropped it off yeah. in the woods. We, I've seen that in the case that we talked about in my book, um, where I'm almost certain that the unidentified woman's remains were tossed into the woods. They went to the trouble of um, dismembering a homicide victim in that case. Um, and then after all of that, you know, effort to hide her identity, um, her just her, her head was thrown into the woods, um, yeah. where two children discovered it. It was horrible. Um, but and I think that was because they got the person who killed her got spooked, because they were they were just you know a hundred yards from a lake at that point. But I think they just yeah. got scared, and I really wonder if that was the case here as well. Yeah, you and you you make a um, my brain started just uh, wandering when you talk about this pile of trash, and then you've mentioned the pickup truck. It's like the whole pile of trash could have been from the pickup truck. If you just decide to, you know, load the load load everything up into the pickup truck, you get to the spot and just kind of kick everything out. You know, that you know, I kind of thought maybe that was a possibility like a, a pickup truck makes sense if it's, you know, full of materials for building and if this person was handy in some kind of way and they load their pickup truck with a bunch of different types of trash and this TV console with the body in it, drive it out and then when they decide to if 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 the lake or water body of water was a possibility, when they get spooked, they just go just dump everything out of the truck and and let's go. There was a clean diaper um which seems she wore diapers. Yeah, which seems definitely related. Um yeah. there were some cigarette butts if I'm remembering correctly. 
Um, but the thing that was most interesting to investigators was there was an um, Albany, Georgia newspaper. And Albany is not super far away um, from Ware County. Um, if you ask me right now to give you um, the distance, um, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's yeah. not super far. So if you have a car, you can get there and not a crazy amount yeah, of time. Yeah. Would, you, like, would you say that? Yes, I should 100% remember. Um, but I was uh, this morning doing distances between like eight different places. So that yeah. math has taken over um, in my head <laughs> from then and now. But that Albany newspaper has been the thing that police have really been thinking about. Now, of course, can a newspaper end up in the woods? Might it not be related? I, but I think they really have suspected for a long time it probably fell out of the vehicle um, that yeah. dropped her off. And that that is the closest clue that they have so far. Um, you know, and the other case that we covered when we originally covered this case was the case of Dennis Doe. Um, and his case has since been solved. And in his case, um, his mother moved from where she was originally living, um, which is currently escaping me. But she moved to Georgia um, and her actions led to her son's death. They have not specifically released how he died, but we do know that he had an overdose of cold medicine in his system. Um, she left his remains in a Georgia cemetery, then returned back home. And then when his babysitter started asking questions about what happened to him, she moved out of state very quickly. Um, oh, wow. But it's that idea of you don't go so far. Do you know what I mean? So either yeah. either you distance yourself to do the killing, you know, or you distance the body from where you live. It's, it's that idea of crossing a line, whether it's a county right, yeah. line or a state line. I, I, somewhere Somewhere else. Yeah. You know, but not so far because people usually yeah. don't go super far. I mean, the case where I've seen someone go the farthest was a couple of states, but it was just straight up the highway. It was a you know, Tennessee to Illinois, um, which is it's not like a straight shot. Yeah, yeah, not as far as it seems. Yeah, based on the way the cement was mixed, this was a frantic person, and so if you're frantically looking for a place to dispose of a body, like you said, you're going to start drawing attention when you're stopping scoping places out you got all this weird stuff in the back of a yeah. truck or so or some or it looks like you're opening doors up and trying to do something then it's getting sketchy and driving away it makes sense that when you say yeah they might try to cross some lines but they might not go too far mm -hmm. up doing that because you start to get like this has to be done i can't yeah. keep it need, it's now or never and that's what that spot feels like that spot feels very now or never it doesn't feel planned out it doesn't feel intentional it feels like i've gone f far enough without doing it and now I got to get this. Yeah. It's just time to get this done. Yeah. Or could it, it, it could just be like, this is far enough for me to, to feel like I have the internal feeling of like, I don't have, I'm not attached to this at all. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like area. cleaning my hands type of thing where it's just like, that's, I think this area is far enough to where it's like, like she said, like Laura said, it's not where you, I live at or where I'm staying or people may, you know, raise questions and, you know, make me nervous or something and kind of yeah. trying to figure out what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. And that likely speaks to, um, the person responsible being someone that she knows. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, the case, the case you bring up, I mean, obviously we don't know what happened, but the Dennis Doe case you bring up when you say a, a, a cold medicine overdose, uh, the autopsy, like you said a, a little bit ago, it, it, you know, she didn't seem to have been shot or stabbed or, you know, the, the cause of death could not be discovered. So it feels very much like this was possibly an accident or maybe, you know, uh, a discipline gone too far type of situation. Like you said, this feels familial yeah. and it feels like maybe something went too far and the disposal was paramount as opposed to this was a homicide that uh, somebody was trying to cover up. This feels very accidental. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say, um, but it does feel that some, you know, it, it, it does feel small children are most often killed by relatives um, yeah. or by someone who's living in their house who's not related to them. Uh, yeah. you know, a domestic partner of one of their parents um, is yeah. also most likely. Um, you know, Because a stranger abduction of children is rare. Um, pe people do fear that a lot, but it really is rare. Um, you know, Children yeah. are most likely hurt by someone who's in a caretaking position of them, um, which is you know, horrible to discuss, but it's the truth. Um, yeah. So, and in this case, I think really specifically, um, that idea is something we need to think about because uh, the the fact that there's no missing persons report that lines up is another big consideration. There have been a couple of kids that are 
often discussed um, that I do want to bring up because when people hear this, they're going to go look at her uh, forensic art, um, her approximations. Yeah. Both were done by the Lawsons here in Georgia, and that's um, Marla Lawson and Kelly Lawson. Um, they're pretty famous for being a mother and daughter forensic art duo. Duto. Forensic art duo. Duto, yeah. <laughs> a forensic art duo. Um, Marla was the first uh, forensic artist for the GBI. Um, and her daughter, Kelly, was a replacement because she couldn't find someone good enough to replace her. So she, <laughs> so she made her. Yeah, so she made her. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Kelly is a friend of mine. Um, and I've gotten to watch her work. And she's amazing. Um, you've probably seen her art. It looks like beautiful pastels. You've probably seen me share it. Like it looks. I probably have if you shared it for yeah, sure. It yeah, it looks different than anything else out there. Um, it's beautiful. It makes you stop and stare at the work. Um, yeah. But. Their work is shared, and every time it's shared, um, someone suggests the case of Kimberly McBoyd. Um, Kimberly McBoyd is a little girl who went missing in Orangeburg, South Carolina, in April of 1987. Kimberly Boyd, not McBoyd, I'm sorry. Um, she went missing in Orangeburg, South Carolina, in 1987. And um, the reason this case comes up a lot is that she and her mother, and the reason I got her last name wrong, you'll see in a second, she and her mother and her mother's friend, Linda McCord, were actually on okay. their way back. Yeah, they're on their way back from a revival meeting um, in another part of South Carolina when they just disappeared. Um, they were just driving cross state and yeah. a couple days later, Linda McCord's husband discovered their car just abandoned. And to wow. this day, no one knows what happened to them. Um, we actually tried to cover them, but when I got in contact with local law enforcement, there's no longer a file on them. Uh, yeah. But when you look up pictures of Kimberly um, Boyd, she looks very close to um, Christmas Doe, which is why oh, I wow. think a lot of people you know, want to connect those cases. But um, they say that she's been ruled out. I'm not precisely sure how. It may be that they have dentals um, still available mm. on Christmas dough. And for your audience that's not really aware of what that might be. So it's not just dental x-rays like you get at the dentist office. What they'll do is they'll make a chart. Um, and they'll just have like a picture of a mouthful of teeth. And they'll make little marks on it. Like this tooth is unique in this way. This tooth is unique in this way. This tooth has erupted. This tooth hasn't. And that's especially important yeah. for little kids, you know, because they've lost this tooth. They haven't gotten this tooth yeah. yet, et cetera. You know, so um, especially for like my nine-year-old or Fran's toddler, right? Like they're going to have all different kinds of teeth coming in in all directions. So Kimberly um, Boyd would certainly have dental records um, she, yeah. you know, at her age of, of like four. So for Christmas Doe, even if they didn't have a full report, they'd be, they'd be able to compare those even without DNA and then perhaps rule her out. So that's my yeah. best guess because I didn't get the full file on Christmas Doe. Um, Benita Sanders um, is another little girl who often gets brought up a lot. She disappeared in New Jersey in September of 1986. Um, she disappeared straight off her front porch. She was strapped in a stroller eating a popsicle and someone oh, wow. just took her off the porch. Um, and that's considered to be a straight abduction as well. Um, yeah. she has been ruled out as well, but I don't know how. The problem with doe cases is that in a missing persons case, you're able to follow the last steps they took in their life, right? Because re relationships right. are how you solve cases. Um, you know, whether it's a homicide or a missing persons case in general, you're able to look at what they did, who they know, who yeah. they love, who they have conflicts with. Um, you know, you're able to look at their last steps. You're able to interview people at schools, jobs, et cetera. Right. But with a yeah. with an unidentified person, you're starting from zero um, with a child. It's actually sometimes a little easier because you you know where to go and where you go to are schools daycares mm -hmm. and it actually yeah. a big one people don't think about um especially in rural areas is vacation bible school hmm. oh here's why um vacation bible school especially in rural areas is low cost or free um so and it's a it's like a it's like a daycare hack yeah and it's saying? yeah and it's um okay. you know most people in a lot in rural areas um people are more likely to go to church um it is mm. helpful it's helpful child care in the summer um, you know, and a lot of kids who are too young for school 
um, will go to vacation Bible school, you know, because they get, you know, some there's also like education involved. Um, it's a good way to socialize with other kids, you know, where there not, may not be a ton mm. of preschool programs. Um, and police officers do often go and speak to vacation Bible school teachers, you know, who may have had interactions with kids who are too young for pre-K. So, you know, and that is also something you can do in the city as well. But people are not as, you know, not as apt to go to vacation Bible school because there are yeah. simply more, you know, just so many more programs. Um, right. But that is one of the, you know, there was a case that was recently solved um, in Alabama. And oh, my gosh, I can never pronounce the name of this town. Um, Opelika, I think, is the Opelika Jane Doe. Why and not? If you're from Alabama, <laughs> you have to forgive me um, because yeah. I even have the chief of police's phone number in my phone but i have a question mark next to the town name um to but for years i followed this case of a little girl um and you probably have seen her picture because she had she was blind in one eye um likely from some uh, domestic abuse um but they actually were able to find a picture of her at vacation bible school Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and this is not the first time that that would be the first thing I would do if I was looking at a child under the age of five years old in, in a rural area as I would start talking vacation Bible to school. vacation Bible school. Because, um, you know, a lot of my friends who live in rural areas send their kids there. Yeah. You know, because it is a place for kids to go and socialize. And, day, and, day, and daycare is no joke. It's, it's incredibly <laughs> expensive. Um, and, yeah. you know, there's little, you know, it's only for a week or two, but it's a way to get them out of the house, see other kids. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, and especially if you're struggling some, um, you know, there's snacks like, you know, like you trust the people who are watching them. Like that's yeah. no yeah. joke. So that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's one place you go. Um, of course, you check in um, with schools, but so many of these kids are just not in school yet. And that was the case for Dennis Doe. Um, he was not in school yet. Could you speak to. The time that has passed and how this came across your radar and how you got involved and what and what what you have discovered since getting involved. Sure. Um, So unidentified persons cases um, became a big interest of mine around 2018. Um, And that's when I first found out about the case of Julie Doe, which is the first case that we covered on the fall line. um, That was an unidentified Mm -hmm. persons case. It's how I got involved with the Trans Doe Task Force, um, who are in my book. Um, You know, we have worked with them since then. And then I started looking at unidentified persons cases here in Georgia um, and have just expanded out since then. So there have been updates in her case, but the updates are mostly focused on just asking for information. Um, And I do know that my um, friend Stephen Pacheco, who is from Trace Evidence, has recently released uh, an episode on her case as well. Um, And I didn't know he was doing um, the episode or I would have sent over what I have as well. Um, Because, you know, we all like to share and share alike, you know, Mm -hmm, um, to get as much information out. But he did, um, when I was speaking to him about this, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because I had a giant uh, deadline that I was just crying and typing for about a month. Um, But he told me that he was able to get um, some updates um, that so far, uh, you know, DNA testing to achieve a profile in the case has not been possible. So I think what they're really focusing on right now is trying to get in tips. Um, And I think they're really hoping that that Albany, Georgia lead um, will bring about something, hoping that people from that area uh, may remember something. My only concern is that, you know, Perhaps someone who knew or was um, related to this child could have worked in the area. That doesn't necessarily mean they were from Mm. that area. You know, I mean, that piece of trash could have been picked up somewhere and brought along. Um, So I would I just want to caution people. Well, I think it's a great idea to look at that area. Don't Don't limit yourself to that area. Also, yeah. Yeah. if this was a child, this child was well taken care of, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I think the attention paid to her hair, the attention paid to her clothing. I mean, that kind of stuff speaks to me. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I look back at Dennis Doe, um, who was killed. He was wearing the newest style of Timberlands. Um, they were bought from, down here from Walters in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and they were double knotted. And that that's as care. a parent that's care but yeah. he also yep. was killed by his parent 
you wow. know. Um, mm. And th- I know that they haven't released here in Georgia the absolute cause of death, but they are prosecuting her for homicide, yeah. not for accidental death. So there yeah. seems to be some more information that will be coming out, you know, in that case. Yeah. So I th- that would lend to it being intentional. Yeah. In some kind so of I think that while care um, is something we should look at, you know, um, we can't assume anything. Yeah. And also, I think that her size um, may not be indicative of her age necessarily. I know with little kids, they do look at teeth, things like that, that really helps them. Um, but she also may have been underweight. Um, and thus, yeah, thirty pounds. Thirty pounds. Feel, I mean, I don't have much extra. Twenty-five, actually, feel, which is you yeah, know small, um, yeah. but not not you know not crazy yeah, small, but just small. Um, I yeah, don't know okay. for you know for two to three. Twenty-five pounds feels small to me, but you know I also have a tall child, so. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, she, you know, the child could have been medically um, fragile. Yeah. You know, Shaikemia yeah. Pate, yeah. who we her case we've worked on for years. Um, only weighed around 40 to 45 pounds at nine. Um, just wow. she had asthma. She's medically wow. fragile. Um, and she was, you know, uh, you know, a small child. Um, and she was yeah. well taken care of. She just was medically fragile. So, yeah. So, Laura, um, obviously, without getting into too much detail, do you believe that, you know, there is a path that has not been uh taken serious enough do you think that there is a smoking gun that we're missing like what what are your thoughts obviously you don't like to speculate you know on the fall line but you're not on the fall line (laughs) where we can get a little bit more loose you know while keeping it professional obviously we can get a little bit more loose like as far as with everything encompassed and what you know what what do you what where do you think people should start to turn their focus to if they if if they haven't well one thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see um, the full suite of what NICMEC can offer really applied in this case, because I know that NICMEC will do that. Um, NICMEC was able to solve the case of Dennis Doe by just getting his information out there. Um, Yeah. The woman who solved his case was his babysitter and she saw his forensic art. Um, which was gotten out there by Angeline Hartman, who both has a podcast and is one of the higher-ups at NICMAC. Um, and they just did recently a huge push for uh, Raymond Green's case. Um, he went missing in 1978 um, when he was five days old uh, from Grady. Uh, well, rather, as a result of his birth at Grady, he went missing from home. But a woman who'd spotted him as great at Grady, who'd been hiding on the maternity wing here at Grady Hospital uh, in Atlanta, she spotted him there, followed his family home, uh, made an excuse, and then stole him uh, wow. from my friend Donna Green. Um, so they did a huge campaign for Raymond Green. Um, they actually got his face on all the gas station little screens, you know, those TV screens you watch while you're pumping yeah. gas? Yeah. They got yeah. it all over yeah. the nation. Um, and they are able to do things like that. And I know that Nick Mac will do those things, um, but they need to be in cooperation, you know, with law enforcement. So I'd love to see a Nick Mac campaign. Um, I'd love I'd love to see um, the GBI really concentrating on getting her forensic art out there. Um, you know, just you know, especially concentrating on. I know we're concentrating on Georgia, but I'd love to see more in Florida. How about yeah. Alabama? You know what I mean? Like, there's these these states really do all the ones that yeah, touch really you know, do yeah. cross over. Um, so I just love to see more. And you have to hit the right person. You have to hit the teacher. You have to hit the neighbor. You have to hit the daycare provider. Um, a lot of the people who take care of children um, are older at this point from 1988 yeah. and are not necessarily on social media. So you have to think about where yes. they might see these pictures. The news. Yeah. The, the ga- In physical. The gas station, you know. Yeah. So. For our listeners, already know, obviously, I'm a mailman. So each week we deliver these red plums. Red plums are... Um, Weekly ads mm-hmm. people get. At the bottom of the red plum, there's a, on every week, there's a little section for the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children that has, I guess we know, I don't know how to pick randomly, but a case of a missing person and they have the information, date of birth, and they have the um, the facial reconstruction picture as well. And I do want to ask you how beneficial that is to these cases and does it, does it work? Does it help? I think anything like that helps because you have to yeah. hit all these different audiences. 
And you, I mean, and I'm sure you know, like from being a carrier, like who actually looks at that? Right. Right. O- older people, o- yeah. you know, older people. Yeah. yeah. And so you need to hit those people too. And so I think, yeah, for sure it helps. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've, I've always noticed it. And then I'll, you know, when I see, cause the debt technology is, I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long it's been around, but you know, when I finally started to pay attention to it, I go like, that's, that's amazing that they were able to do that. You know, to kind of see what this person may, if they're still alive, you know, f- you know, hopefully, what they could look like if somebody was out there, you know, trying to keep an eye open for that yeah. person. So I, I, I think it's cool. So yeah, that exactly that, and then I think yeah. art for unidentified people, and just yeah. you know, all, all of the above, because you know, I think we are gonna probably be looking for someone older in this case who could help identify right. this little girl. So uh, awareness, awareness, awareness. Um, this Christmas Doe case. I'm glad that we could uh, talk about it for a, a bit and try to uh, shine a light on it. When you read about the callousness and the disrespect uh, that was done to the body in the name of disposing of it, this one really like made me sad. But um, it's part of the, you know it's part of the gig. You know you you, got, you know, people got to hear about it to get it out there. And I'm glad that we could talk about this one. Uh, Laura, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. If we could take some time to talk about lay them to rest. The audible selection for one of the uh, books of the year. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> what is what was that pro- What was that process like? Uh, what was your intention behind the book, aside from just telling amazing stories and um, you know reliving your journey has been really cool up to 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 he, you know to hear how you became Obi Wan Kenobi to me. <laughs> Uh, you know the the footsteps of that, but what you know what is what has the journey been like, and what was the what was the mission behind this behind Lay the Mask? I'm just really about worried about you and Haley Gray um, or anyone that thinks I'm an authority <laughs> on anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I ever make a wrong move, <laughs> yeah. you can blame Laura Norton, yeah. the author of Lay the um, Mask. Because I could just you know I'm figuring out as I go along, so yeah, blame me, guys. Um, so. What happened was, um, so I've been a writer for years as creative writing professor. Um, so that's my that's like my primary job is to be a writer. Um, mm. Podcasting has been a means to an end, I guess, to you know just writing in a different medium. Um, yeah. This all started because around 2018, when we started covering unidentified persons, um, I wanted to figure out how to do this because I knew people weren't covering unidentified persons, John and Jane Doe's, because they're hard to cover. You know, yeah. you know this. You find one or there's two, not much information yeah, out there. Yeah, one or two articles, and I said, okay, well, we already know how to produce our our own information. Um, we know how to do primary research. We go in the field. We talk to people. We get files. But part of that is getting interviews from friends and family, who add the pathos, the emotion to the story, right? Yeah. And one thing I really try to stress to people is that unidentified persons are not objects. They're not a pile of bones. They are missing people. They're people. Um, you're just missing the stories that make you remember that, you know, that help you emotionally connect. Um, yeah. And and I know that that's hard for people to do because they need that emotional story. Yeah. yeah. She was on the cheerleading team. Yeah. She her parents took her to see animals and every year. Yeah. yeah. It, it it helps. It helps. Yeah, it creates the personhood of it. Exactly. I mean, the first thing Brooke does whenever she interviews a family is she doesn't start asking about the worst day of their lives. She talks to them about what it was like growing up, what games they play, what do they do at holidays, like all kinds of stuff, because it builds a life, not just a death. But, you know, and by the way, that tape is really fun to listen to because it's, you know, a family, not just a a tragedy. But it's genuine. Yeah, it's really she's really good at what she does. Um, But so. When I started really digging into um, John and Jane Doe files, I started to realize that the story was in the science. And the story was not only in the science, but the people who were trying to solve the cases. Problem was, um, my degrees are in creative writing. Um, I took one science class in all of undergrad, and uh, I almost failed it. And I've told other people this, but the guy just passed me so I could graduate. I took it my last semester. He gave me a C. (laughs) He felt sorry for me. Just gave me a C because yeah. I, I drew like a really bad amoeba, and he just let me go. Um, but good, en- good enough. Get out of here. <laughs> he's like you're. He's like you're gonna go get an MFA. All right, here, yeah, just leave. Um, but then suddenly I needed to learn science. Um, so I was like, oh, oh shit. Um, 
Cursing, I enjoy getting to curse on your show, by the way. We can't do that on the phone. Yeah, yeah. please, <laughs> so, let them rip. So it's great. Um, so I was like, all right, let me start learning this. So I started teaching myself stuff, but I was in over my head. Um, so I started contacting experts, and I was like, hey, hey, I, I'm a professor. You're a professor. Yeah. My skills are not helpful to you, perhaps, but you are helpful to me. Can you explain this toxicology report or whatever? Um, and so – it turned out that actually my skills were helpful to them too um, because they didn't know how to do the kind of research I do. Um, and they wanted to read all of the interviews that I did and Brooke did with families afterwards because yeah. that's helpful to their research. And so I started working um, with them to do uh, archival research and field research and going out and, you know, I know how to go through census records and I know how to go to a town and figure out everything about the town and find the yearbooks and go dig through the files and, you mm. know, talk my way into the records room with the mean lady and do that kind of stuff. And so I started <laughs> yeah. working with people um, and they were teaching me forensic anthropology and odontology, you know, and teaching me about forensic art um, and DNA and genealogy. Now, please keep in mind, I'm still like elementary level and all that stuff, but I can understand it well sure. enough to explain it to other people. So when our series on the victims of Samuel Little came out um, in 2019, I had been working, 2020, I had been working on unidentified persons cases for a long time. Um, and then that series was really popular. Um, yeah. And so people started asking me to write a book. Um, editors were reaching out. Um, but they wanted me to write about mostly about serial killers. And I don't care about yeah. serial killers. I think they're boring um, I think that they are uh, unremarkable in every way. Um, and and they're narcissistic, so you're kind of giving yeah. them what they want. Yeah, they're narcissistic. I think that uh, their psychology is not interesting. Um, I think that if you want to um, know anything about serial killers, you need to read Enzo Yaksik's book that he just came out with. Um, he's one of the... Uh, premier serial killer researchers um, in the country. He's written the most important book there is, uh, and it's all about how um, what serial killing actually is and why these people are wholly uninteresting um, yeah. and why people have moved into mass shooting. Uh, there's a lot of... It's a really interesting book. He's been on the fall line, um, but he really... <laughs> He doesn't like the celebrity expert and he doesn't like the celebrity serial killer. So I, you know, yeah. I said I don't want to write about serial killers, but I do want to write about um, doe cases. And I want to help people understand the science behind them and why cases get solved and why they don't get solved. And I said, you know, I'm working on a couple of cases right now. So what if we followed a case in real time? And I explained the science of how a case gets solved at the same time. And it just so happened to line up that a case um, I was working on with uh, one of my best friends, Dr. Amy Michael, who's a forensic anthropologist, lined up perfectly um, to follow at the same time. And so that's the case of Ina Jane Doe, formerly Ina Jane Doe, um, who was found murdered in a park in an Illinois State Park in uh, 1993, January of 1993. Her partial remains were found. And her case was cold for almost 30 years. And wow. we were able to um, work in cooperation with the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in Illinois on that case and bring in, um, you know, every possible type of expert to work on the reanalysis of the case. And the case um, was successfully solved in that her identity was reconnected there. Um, I, I don't wow. I don't like the phrase giving someone back their name. I think people. Yeah, I just don't like it because it sounds it puts people who are working on the case in this godlike position. Um, yeah. People are, are, are always have their names. Just they got disconnected from them. I like I like reconnecting better. I think it yeah. puts everyone on a more even playing field. I know it's just language, yeah. but yeah, but it's important. Language matters yeah. for sure. And I know people don't mean it like that, but it just of course it yeah just hit, it just hits it hits me wrong for some reason. Um, but yeah, she was um, and she was identified as Susan Menard Lund and um, officially in March of 2022. And so and I've been working wow. with her family since. Sorry to spoil you, you're not done. Um, but there's there's still more Alvin. Don't worry. Um, but um, and I've been working with her family since then. And so that's what that book's about. And there's there's a lot more in there. Lots of cases discussed. And yeah, um, the reader gets to follow along and watch a case get solved. I love the way that it's laid out. Obviously, I know how to read, friends, so you can stop your allegations. Uh, I do know how to read, but the audible journey is great. Obviously, I've listened to you as a podcaster for years, so it kind of transitioned seamlessly. Um, I've been really enjoying the book. I'm also very proud to call you a friend and 
when my friends do cool stuff, I think that's amazing. So you writing a book is super cool, but it also being a book that I feel is important and shines a light on what you do and what people in your position do and how you are helping to, you know, uh, uh, bring people home in a way and, and uh, you know, rediscover their name and, and, you know, give some closure to families. Sure. Uh, I, I love how that's all laid out in the book. And I think that it's super awesome. And um, we are both super grateful for you joining us today. Uh, if you would like to plug anything other than Later Than the Rest, which is out now on you know all the book platforms, get it today, get it right now. Uh, if you would like to plug, if you'd like to plug anything else, please take it away. Uh, let let people know where to find you and everything. Um, I do want to mention that right now the fall line is covering oh my gosh over twenty cases of unidentified persons from Tennessee. Um, who've never been featured on a podcast before. So we're working in cooperation wow. with Metro Nashville uh, Police Department. This is our fourth collaboration with them. Um, we just happened to have a really good working relationship with the head of cold cases there. Um, we asked to work on one case, and then he just kept bringing us more cases. Um, yeah. So we have 22 unidentified persons cases that we're covering over five episodes. Um, many of the cases are unhoused individuals or suspected to be unhoused individuals um, who have absolutely no chance of getting covered um, in mainstream news. Um, yeah. Several of the victims, actually, their murderers have been identified, uh, confessed, um, one of whom went to prison and died, but his victims are still unidentified. Wow, wow. You know, with, with plenty of clues that I think can identify them. Um, and several of the cases, um, unfortunately, the remains of the victims are lost. So we absolutely have to identify them using clues, um, which I've been working yeah. on for months. So over these five episodes, um, the first of which was out last week, um, the second episode's out this Wednesday, we really need the help of people, um, and not just in the Southeast, um, because so many people travel to Nashville for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, to make bachelorette parties, to make it, <laughs> to make it big. Um, yeah. you know, um, Nashville also, um, at one point had really good social services. Um, that has unfortunately not been the case recently, especially with Nashville's gentrification. Um, the housing prices are through the roof. It's almost impossible to live yeah. there. Um, but you know, Nashville is a place that people come to, um, and sometimes yeah. don't leave. So we're trying to help identify um, more than 20 people. And so if your listeners are willing to listen, but especially share, I'm making flyers for every single one of these cases. We've gotten Carl Koppelman, who's a forensic artist. He's done new artwork for two of the cases that didn't have artwork. Um, and awesome. these are specifically men who may have been um, not from the United States. So we really mm. need this artwork um, wow. yeah. to circulate to be shared. Yeah. And I'm getting, I'm working on the bilingual translations of those posters um, because I can't trust uh, Google Translate. Um, but luckily, oh no. man, no. <laughs> I did, I did, I did yeah. a speech, I did a speech at Fran's wedding, um, and uh, 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 his in laws, his in laws are uh, of Spanish speaking uh, descent. And Google had me doing all kind of backflips. It really makes you speak like, and today of all days, it's the best day. No days are like these days. And we are all here eating food and drinking drink. It's like, it's like that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be casual and right. like, be suave. And it's, it's, it's really rigid and weird. So, yeah, you might want to get some, uh, some experts on the translation of that. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, so, yeah, luckily, um, my research assistant... Um, Brian uh, is uh, half Ecuadorian and speaks Spanish fluently, so he's always there to save me yeah. uh, from from myself <laughs> on the good. on the on the translate. Yeah, because I don't I don't no offense, Alvin, but I I don't want to have a wedding speech incident. <laughs> well, it was well, listen. It's all about how you sell it. And Fran, I was I think I don't I know you didn't know what the hell I was saying, but I think I sold it pretty good. Well, you rehearsed it. You got to be you rehearsed it before you did it. So I, I did, didn't know what you said. His brother in law was like. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> say, say it like this. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy what you just said. Oh, so you got, so you had help ahead of time. So yeah, my brother in law. My brother in law helped yeah, him yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you acted like you just came on cold. And he did it. Just I almost, the, I, I almost or, did. Or I, the see, I didn't ask him for help. I was like, check this out, right? Let me play. Let me uh, let me beguile you and bedazzle you before you let you. Let me give you, give you a sneak peek. Yeah. And I went no social, yeah, no emo. That was, was like, no, yeah. that not at all. You want to say. We're family, guys. Not 
we are the family, the family of families. It's like that. You're saying it weird. It's cultish. So he re, he retooled it, and I got everything. But I did it's come to him. I came to him in a moment of arrogance. I wanted to brag, and he 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 got me. He straight, humbled though. you a little bit. He humbled me. I was like, oh, okay. It's in the masculine two eres. Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Right. right, right. I also knew that, but I'm glad that you've made it clear for me as well. Uh, Laura, again, <laughs> listen, thank you so much for joining. I would love, we would love to have you on anytime. Absolutely. Uh, th- you know, it, the work that you do is incredible. Continue to do great things. Wishing you continued success on the book. Um, Fran, also, I'm glad that you guys got to meet. I'm going to shut up. You say goodbye to Laura now. Again, it was finally wonderful to get a chance to talk to you i have listened to the podcast wonderful podcast and again like alvin like he said he's kind of let me out the cage on this one he let me come and be on the show so i was <laughs> happy i'm able to finally meet you and this was this episode was wonderful i think people are really gonna like this so it was an honor and i'm so pleased that you have promised to appear um i guess for all time on one strange thing as a voice actor i did make a note of that it's written down now so i heard him say it so yes yeah. yes I am available anytime you need me. I'm, I'll definitely be happy to do that. Awesome. Well, uh, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Franco Evans, and the incomparable and amazing Laura Norton. And we'll see you guys next week. Deuces.